Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. It was so great seeing so many of you in New York this last week for the Armory Show. What an exciting all-out week with the fairs and so many gallery openings. But while there was so much energy and excitement about the reopening of the art world in New York City, there was equally as much excitement across the world in South Korea, where Free Seoul simultaneously opened its second edition of the fair. We wanted to see how the week went there, so in this week's episode of the podcast, we're joined by Andy St. Louis, a soul-based art critic. He's also the founder of Soul Art Friend, an online platform dedicated to promoting contemporary Korean art. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Andy, thanks so much for coming on. How have you been? Great. Hey, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. So as I mentioned, you're based in Seoul and you were there last week for the fairs. First, tell us, what was the mood and atmosphere like in Seoul leading up to the second edition of Free Seoul? Well, you know, 2023 has been a bit of a mixed bag for the international art world. Um, You know, we're in the midst of this sort of contraction after several years of continuous growth There's been decreased um, secondary market sales across the board at major auction houses. But, you know, this year's slate of international art fairs like Art Basel Hong Kong, Freeze New York, and Art Basel in Basel, you know, they all seem to meet somewhat depressed uh, expectations, if not surpass them. So I think it's clear, you know, that we're experiencing a global art market correction, but we're still quite a long way off from a complete, you know, crash um, as far as Seoul, the art market here also has has undergone a contraction this year, uh, which was somewhat expected after last year when we had this really unprecedented increase in the country's total sales volume. Um, so leading up to Free Seoul this year, I would say the galleries were for the most part cautiously optimistic, um, you know, keeping in mind that the collector base in Korea continues to expand, particularly among younger collectors. And that Asian collectors on the whole constitute the fastest growing demographic in the global art market. Um, As far as the mood on the ground here, I think there was uh, much less uncertainty this year. You know, it felt like people had a better sense of what to expect from Freeze Week compared to last year. Uh, A lot of the hype this year came from luxury brands. Uh, We had the likes of Dior, Chanel, Louis Vuitton, Hermes, Bottega Veneta, Prada, kind of a ridiculous list, all presenting brand activations and hosting parties to coincide with the fair. And not only that, but Seoul Fashion Week also took place uh, during Freeze Week, which they moved up their their spot, which typically takes place in October, to try to, you know, capitalize on the art fair's ability to attract VIPs from around the world. Um, Looking at the efforts of Freeze itself, Uh, in terms of building hype and generating buzz. One major initiative aimed at doing this was the second iteration of Freeze Film, um, which launched two weeks ahead of the fair, and they screened a program of film and video works by 14 Korean artists at four venues across the city. But let's also remember that Freeze wasn't the only game in town because we also had Kiaf Seoul. Uh, This is Korea's premier domestic art fair that's been going for more than 20 years, and it was, again, held concurrently with Freeze Seoul, uh, both of the fairs occupying exhibition halls 
at the city's uh, COEX convention center. Um, so there was a lot of energy around Kiev Seoul as well. They had something like uh, 200 galleries participating. Uh, and finally, we had Arts Council Korea, which is sort of the, the federal uh, body uh, governing sort of arts administration uh, in the country. They also operated a special program leading up to Freeze and Kiev with an information center to promote emerging and alternative art spaces around the city. So there was definitely a lot of anticipation, a lot of hype, and I would say that it mostly lived up to the hype. Yeah, it sounds like there was a lot going on throughout Seoul, really beyond the fairs. And so last year when you had the inaugural edition of Freeze Seoul, it actually occurred one week before it did this year, and so you didn't have any kind of conflicting event like we saw this year with the Armory Show in New York occurring at the same time as the fairs in Seoul. Did the fact that you had Free Soul occurring at the same time as the Armory Show and also really the opening of the art season in New York, did it have any impact on things such as attendance or maybe even the energy at the fair? You know, if there was any impact, it wasn't readily apparent to me. Um, there's been some anecdotal reporting that the number of American collectors at Freeze Soul was down this year. But what I really noticed was actually an increase in Chinese collectors. So keep in mind that when Freeze Soul launched last year, China was still under pretty strict quarantine measures. So I think it makes sense for some people to perceive that there may have been fewer Americans this year. But I think what's actually more likely is that the American contingent was pretty much unchanged. But since there was such a bigger Chinese presence, their sort of uh, visibility uh, seemed to decrease. Um, in terms of galleries, if they were affected by the double booking of Armory Show and Freeze, I'm not sure there's that much evidence for that either. Uh, by my count, there were about a dozen galleries that participated in both Freeze Soul and the Armory Show. But for the most part, the international galleries really focused their efforts on Seoul. Um, all the major blue chip players uh, like Gagosians, Werner, Hauser & Wirth, etc., they all opted to just engage their growing client bases in Asia rather than devote any resources to the Armory Show. And this was evident in the slate of really impressive exhibitions that opened in Seoul during Freeze Week. So out of the galleries that actually have physical locations in the city, you know, Ropak was showing Donald Judd and Joseph Boys. Pace was showing Yoshito Monara and Robert Nava. Lehman Mopin had David Sally. Perotan had Tavara Stretch. And so, you know, pretty solid exhibitions, pretty amazing showings from those galleries. And then we also had some pop-up exhibitions from galleries that do not operate spaces here. So Eva Prissenhuber, Spruth Magers, and Listen, they all had some special exhibitions that they presented here. And actually, the major auction houses also got in on the action. So Christie's had a show of Warhol and Basquiat. Sotheby's had a show of Banksy and Keith Haring. And Phillips even mounted a group exhibition here. So I don't think there was really much of an effect of the Armory show at all. There certainly were no conversations taking place here about you know missing out on the Armory show or having to make any sort of difficult decision between the two. Uh, you know, Freeze Soul is, is sort of a premier art fair property um, under the freeze banner. And so I think that really uh, is, is in many ways a bigger draw that combined with the fact that, you know, Korean culture continues to sort of dominate, uh, and permeate, uh, the, you know, across, across the globe and, uh, people really, you know, want 
maybe not an excuse to come to Seoul, but they really take advantage of the opportunity. And people seemed uh, extremely excited this year as they were last year. And so if we dig into the market component, do you have a sense as to how sales were at the fairs this year in Seoul? I think the sales were, you know, brisk, to put it, uh, you know, in sort of PR uh, lingo. I think the sales were somewhat less splashy than last year. We didn't have a huge number of really high value uh, works that sold. Uh, the general consensus seems to be that galleries brought works skewing toward the less expensive end of the spectrum. I think there's sort of a sweet spot in the market between about $50,000 and $150,000 and it seemed like galleries were mostly aiming there. Um, of course, there, there was, you know, uh, a, a fair share of, of high value sales. So Ropak had a, a Bosselitz that sold for 1.2 million. Spruce Margaris had a Rosemary Trokel for 1.3 million. Uh, Hauser had a Nicholas Party for 1.25 million. So, you know, there's still some, some big works that sold, but we didn't see, you know, multiple millions uh, for a single work. And it seemed like the vast majority of the transactions pretty much took place under the quarter million dollar uh, level. Um, but one thing that, that's interesting and something that's emerged as sort of a trend among collectors at Free Soul is a much more leisurely approach to closing deals. So both last year and this year, a lot of gallerists remarked that collectors in Seoul tend to show strong interest in works on the VIP day, on that first preview. And then they kind of wait a few days before completing the purchase. So, you know, compared to collectors at other major international art fairs, Koreans tend to return during the fair's public days and kind of continue their conversations with dealers when the mood is a little bit less hectic. And for me, I think this really reflects the importance of developing personal relationships alongside business deals here in Korea, uh, because collectors are really very keen on building trust and having a dialogue with the foreign gallery owners and sales directors and sort of building this rapport over time, um, which I think you know is, is certainly... Uh, present at other fairs, but I think it's really a, a dominant theme that, that takes place here in Seoul. Yeah, and related to that, I wanted to ask you, does it feel like galleries are still introducing their programs and even really themselves to collectors in Seoul at these fairs? Or now it's the second year, we've seen more of a global marketplace over the last decade or so. Is there a strong familiarity between collectors and galleries at this point? I mean, it's. I think it's a little bit of both, you know, um, unsurprisingly. Keep in mind that a lot of these major international galleries already have a strong collector base here in Korea, as well as just across the, the Asian region, even if they don't have any sort of permanent exhibition spaces in Asia. Um, a lot of big galleries have full-time sales directors based in Hong Kong or Shanghai or Seoul. Uh, and they're, they've been working on these relationships with collectors for many, many years. Now, whether or not these galleries ultimately decide to enter the local market with physical locations uh, is, is sort of undecided, but they're definitely conducting business here year round. And, you know, Free Soul really provides them with an opportunity to keep strengthening those relationships with local collectors. So those collectors really do, I think, have a, a pretty uh, high awareness of these galleries' programs, of the artists, as well as the prices uh, and what the market is doing related to those uh, artists' careers. But of course, there are other galleries that are still in this kind of introduction phase here, 
Um, a lot of mid-tier galleries, smaller galleries that participated uh, in last year's Free Soul as well as this year's Free Soul, they are still in the process of educating collectors about their programs and and you know introducing their artists to to collectors here in Seoul. I do think it is worth mentioning though that Korean collectors are widely you know regarded as being quite sophisticated and well informed about sort of international trends in contemporary art. So I do think it would be wrong to say that collectors here are somehow at a disadvantage um, when compared to their counterparts in Hong Kong or Singapore or other non-Western market hubs. I think they're really quite hungry for contemporary art and uh, and really savvy in terms of, of what they're looking for and, and how they collect. So, you know, whether galleries are still in the introduction phase or they're really consolidating their relationships, uh, I think Seoul continues to be a really good place uh, for all these galleries to do business. And now that the fair week has concluded, if you take a step back and reflect, what were some of the key differences between this year's fair and last year's inaugural edition? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the fair itself, there was a, a significantly higher proportion of galleries with ties to Korea and Asia more generally. So this year, there were about 15% of the 121 galleries uh, were Korean galleries. Uh, and then more than 50% of the total galleries are either based in Asia or they operate branch locations in Asia, um, which is, I think, quite quite significant and notable. Um, a big part of this drive is the, the fair has this sort of emerging sector called Focus Asia, and they invite 10 emerging galleries from around the continent to stage solo artist presentations. And this year, there were galleries from Seoul, Shanghai, Tokyo, Osaka, Bangkok, Singapore, and even Dubai. Um, so quite a, a diverse uh, spread there. And then in the main section, you know, you had some some big galleries from Shanghai, like uh, Capsule and Vacancy, from Hong Kong with uh, Kang Malang and Empty Gallery, uh, several galleries from Japan, like Takaishi and Tomio Koyama, and a couple, you know, important galleries from Singapore as well, STPI and Yo Workshop. So I think having all these Asian galleries uh, come together for free soul really helps to consolidate the identity of the fair as, as a major international fair with a clear sort of Asian positioning. Um, and obviously this regional outlook is what differentiates Free Soul from the other Freeze art fairs taking place in London and New York and Los Angeles. And to me, it seems like a, you know, a very wise direction to take, especially since you know, Asian art collectors continue to flex their spending power and we see a lot more uh, sales taking place over here in Asia. Um, as far as other differences between this year and last year, there were a lot more events and activations taking place around the city. You know, VIPs had a plethora of options throughout the week. Um, things kicked off with this star-studded uh, sort of gala at this upscale, upscale resort called Paradise, which is located, it's not even in Seoul, it's in Incheon, a, a neighboring city where the uh, the international airport is located. But then here in Seoul, we also had a bunch of really interesting parties. There was this one uh, alternative art fair, actually, called Our Week, which had, you know, very grungy, hipster DIY vibes, had about 15 galleries. And it was always going late into the night uh, with, you know, a blend of street food and DJ performances and this really nice sort of open air lounge vibe, which was really lacking from a lot of the other events. Um, and I think everyone sort of expected there would be a more substantial calendar of events. 
this year. And it seemed like everything pretty much lived up to people's expectations. Um, having said that, though, you know, it did feel like a lot of events this year were really overbooked and pretty chaotic, actually. Um, so it's clear there's still, you know, there's still significant room for improvement. Um, but considering this is only the second year uh, to do Freeze Week in Seoul, uh, I was still really impressed by the diversity of, of the different offerings and the enthusiasm of, of everybody who was in town uh, to experience all these things. And lastly, before we let you go, you mentioned to us just before we started recording that you have a new book coming out focused on the Korean contemporary art scene. What can you share about that? Sure. Yeah. Uh, very exciting. It's a uh, it's a large uh, survey of Korean contemporary artists uh, in their 40s and 30s. So they're all sort of from the millennial generation, which is really the next generation that's driving the Korean contemporary art world. Uh, so we're looking at these artists, sort of uh, introducing their practices, lots of really beautiful images, and a couple of uh, important essays that really contextualize sort of the millennial experience in Korea. So I kind of see this book as representing, uh, you know, really contemporary Korean history through the, the eyes and perspectives and experiences of these artists. Um, it's going to be coming out in December with uh, Skira is the publisher. It's in English. Uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll keep you posted on, on, on more details as they develop. But uh, yeah, that's all I can really say uh, for the time being. That's really exciting. Well, we'll definitely have to check it out once it's available. Andy, thanks so much again for coming on to the podcast and helping us recap the fairs in Seoul, as well as providing your valuable perspective on everything going on there. And if our listeners want to learn more about Seoul Art Friend, where can we find you? Yeah, you can just find it on Instagram. It's at Soul Art Friend, documenting all the, the most interesting and important exhibitions that take place here in Seoul. A little bit of coverage of art news uh, from the Korean art scene, uh, and hopefully just a, a really insightful perspective on what's happening over here, uh, which I hope people would, uh, would, would take a look at. Great. Andy, thanks so much again. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Adam.